This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, Bushwick Breakaway fans, welcome to another week of the Bushwick Breakaway. I'm here with my co-host, Greg. Just Greg, no last name. Greg, say hello. No last name this week. No, no, I, I didn't even get a Gregory. It's fucked up. Yeah, see, see, I'm just trying to prove the point. You're never happy. That's what I'm starting with. You never, no matter oh. what I do for you, you're never smiling in my direction. No, because you always wake me up to podcast. If you want to do this, if you want me to be happy, we should podcast at like one in the morning when I'm getting up for work. Yeah, like, like brushing your teeth and you're like, Ryan, the Mets are awful. Anyway, this is a Rangers podcast. Um, this week on this podcast, we have a, uh, an analytics-based guest. And uh, I, I'm going to give a peek behind the scenes here. My computer's been exploding. So this, uh-huh. th- this episode uh, is going to be a little bit shorter than our usual. We've been hitting the hour mark solid this entire summer, uh, which has been pretty surprising considering we have nothing to talk about. Mm. That being said, this is going to be on the shorter side of things. We actually have our guest with us now, uh, Drew Way. Drew's going to be writing uh, for our website whenever that launches, hopefully soon, hopefully soon. Shout out to the people that are working on my website in the background that aren't really working on it. And, uh, and if you're a web designer out there, hit me up, BlueShirtsBreakaway at gmail.com. I want to talk to you. And, uh, and Drew's going to be talking that. But Drew's also been diving into the analytics world of hockey, which I know is the most exciting, but I don't know anything about it. So we brought Drew on. Drew, say hello. Hello. Hey, everyone. How's everything going? Except for Ryan. I know your computer's dead right now. It's, but, it's uh, alive at the moment. Greg, Greg I at the moment, yeah. Fingers crossed it holds out. I know Greg was in a coma, I guess, a few minutes ago. So Yeah, Greg was done. Uh, I, 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 wish, I, you know, I wish I was still in the, There are 10 spiders in my window. This is a nightmare. Okay, more, more inside baseball background. Now. Greg has been counting spiders in his window for the last 20 minutes, so now we're here. I'm only doing this for five minutes. That's the most terrifying part. Yeah, this is the scariest part. Uh, so we have, uh, we have a lot of analytics to kind of delve into. I don't really understand any of hockey analytics. And by the way, Drew is going to be on the whole show today because uh, – as we said, computer problems kind of with the show right now. How did you start getting into analytics, and and how would you compare analytics of hockey to other sports that are out there right now? For example, baseball is like a massive analytics community, uh, and I would say NBA is also a massive analytics community. And now we have the hockey. Is, is hockey the third most at this point, especially because the NFL hasn't kind of gone that way? Uh, I mean, it is among, I guess, American sports, you could argue. Um, football is a long way away still. Uh, but to answer your first question, I, I've always been, you know, good with math, science, shit like that. When I was a kid, that's correct. Um, I hated I hated English and history class, which is funny because now I pretty much write for a living. But um, yeah, math and statistics have always fascinated me. When I was a kid, my dad used to like show me off to his friends because I'd be able to memorize all the stat sheets and stuff in the newspapers and stuff like that. So I've always like just taken to it. And then, to be honest, when the analytics movement first really started in hockey, when everything was kind of coursey-based, I actually found it remarkably annoying because you have this group of analysts that use coursey to pretty much justify everything. And for people listening, coursey is pretty much – the other term for coursey is just shot attempts. And because there were a group of years there where all the best teams were, you know, your best coursey teams, and there were a couple of analysts that were very loud and prominent on Twitter and other – verticals that pretty much used Corsi as the end-all be-all for everything under the sun and it was remarkably frustrating for me I'm sure you guys and other people that kind of listen where you know you'd watch the game see something you'd have all these other stats that say other things but then you get this group of people that nope well this team's better at possession therefore they're better at everything in the game so all um, right so wait one second I, Drew before you keep going yeah. on Corsi uh so you said it's, it's mostly shot attempts my understanding was kind of like a possession stat am I wrong in thinking that am I a casual hockey fan no so, yeah, yes and no. Um, Corsi is a measure of possession. People use, you know, will refer to Corsi as a possession stat. But at its core, what Corsi is, is it's shot attempts. So it's, it's not shots on goal. It's shots on, it's, it's all, you know, shots towards the goalie. Um, you have Corsi and Fenwick. One takes into account block shots, one doesn't. But in essence, it, it Corsi was created by the goaltender coach, Jim Corsi. He wanted to know, like, he came up with the idea of, you know, my uh, goalie has to move every time there's a shot on goal. You know, regardless if it comes on net or not, my goalie has to put in work. So he created the stat to take into account how many times the opponent fired the puck towards the goalie, regardless if he actually had to make a save or not. 
And the reason it's a possession metric is, you know, typically if you're taking a lot more shot attempts than your opponent, that probably means you have the puck more than your opponent. Um, so it, it's often referred to as a possession metric, but it's not like a measure of time possession or anything like that. Okay, so so I am an idiot, and I think we've declared that a bunch of times in this podcast. I say that because I, I thought Corsi was literally a, stood for something, uh, but apparently it's just no, the name Corsi's of the coach. No, Corsi's the guy's name. Okay, great. Uh, I'm learning a lot already. Greg, do you have any any comments on Corsi so far? Uh, I just, I'm surprised you didn't realize that war is also not short for something. It's the guy's name. It's named after um, Jackson War, who yeah, was a shortstop J- for the 1943 Cleveland Indians. Yeah, it's not wins above placement at all. <laughs> why, why would it be that? All right. All right. Well, so, so it's it's one thing that's funny about so Greg actually just provided a perfect transition to the second part of your question. So you asked about other sports and sort of where it yeah, is. Yeah, did that on other sports too. So uh... well, hey, hey, Greg, <laughs> great job, buddy. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, I'm on my um, game today. So, so baseball, it took it, baseball is the easiest to do this because one, you have 162 games a season, so it's just this massive sample size. But Greg, I'm sure you'll agree, baseball is a series of individual events. And so it's very easy to measure, you know, what happened, what caused something when a play stopped and ended, you know, but in sports like hockey and basketball and football, these are more free flowing sports to varying degrees. And so it's much harder to measure specific outcomes sometimes. And so that's partially why in baseball, it was able to take off and it's a lot more concrete in baseball where in hockey there are a lot of different you know sort of opinions and models and things like that working in the background so all right hockey it's just more of a chaotic sport in general it's it's much much harder to track those sort of movements and and where baseball you kind of have an exact uh, amount of pinpoint data at all points in time right i'm like right exactly like i said baseball's yeah, you know, baseball is pretty much it's a series of individual events. You know, at first you have just the pitcher versus the batter, then the batter either strikes out or hits the ball. Now the ball's in play, what happened? You know, it's a bunch of very you know singular events happening. Where in hockey, like sure you have a guy with a puck passing around, but there's so much noise going on in the background that can affect everything else that it's just much harder to sort of pinpoint what is driving you know the play, what's driving the event you saw. And um, you know, I'm a big proponent of you do need to watch the games too, and I know that's a big argument on Twitter. Twitter. But uh, one thing that I was kind of telling Greg that I'm planning on writing about eventually is one of the biggest issues with the eye test is a lot of people don't know how to watch the game right, or at least watch the game to know what's going on. And most fans, you know, most of us, you sit there, you follow the puck, see what happens. But a lot of times what's driving the play or a major event that led to something was away from the puck. And a lot of, you know, scouts will tell you when they're at the games watching it, they're often not watching the puck. They're assigned to watch specific games. And that's why you often have multiple scouts at one game because you can't, it's really hard for one person to watch a game and understand everything that's going on in front of you. So, so when I was watching Dan Girardi with the puck, it wasn't really his fault. <laughs> is what you're saying. Is that what you're getting at? No, no, I am not. Nope, nope, uh, nope. Okay. You're not roping me into a Dan Girardi discussion okay. right now. All right. Well, I did want to kind of bring this back towards the Rangers, you know, because we are a Ranger-centric podcast. Yeah. Uh, so you've been doing a bunch of different stats analysis here. Let's talk about Corsi within the Rangers. Uh, you know, I've heard our, our puck possession is not really the best in the, in the league. We're kind of in the lower half. Am I am I also making that up? Um, they're normal. Uh, it depends. It, they're usually middle, a middling team and like kind of like the center tier. There a lot of times though. So you'll hear something referred to as PDO thrown around a lot. Okay. And pretty much PDO is just measuring luck. So it's the, the, the concept behind PDO is like uh, typically in large sample sizes, people will shoot a certain percentage and goaltenders will save a sh- certain percentage. And so if you have a team with a ridiculous save percentage and a ridiculous shooting percentage, they'll have a high PDO, which mainly means that team is getting lucky by statistic, you know, by analytic standards. And the Rangers historically are a high PDO team. Um, now there's a lot of arguments out there that, uh, shoot, shooting percentages is a skill. You know, obviously a guy like Alex Ovechkin is going to have a higher shooting percentage than you know, Dan Girardi. Um, but in you know big sample sizes, it typically these things tend to regress towards the mean. Okay, so I think you've done a study recently of the of the most optimal lines on the New York Rangers. Uh, can we... uh, I was 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I'm not going to take credit for that study, but I was kind of copied on a tweet about the study because I asked the analysts to specifically do it for the Rangers. Okay, so let's talk about that a little bit because I want to kind of break that down. I think this is an interesting conversation. Did I see something about Matt Pumple? Mm-hmm. Is he, uh, is yeah, he, is he and very high up? Fair, the analyst. Yeah, he was on the second line. And yeah. to be fair, the analyst who put this out straight up said like, "Hey." Matt Pumple's an anomaly here, and he said, like, multiple people, listen, if I was creating this line, I would not put Pumple there, but what this optimal line was is there's this guy named, hold on, I want to get his name right. Uh, proper credit, proper wait, I'm credit blanking on the anal- I'm, blank- uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the, uh, the, the main analyst's name. Okay, so Mr. But, blank. Uh, the guy... Yeah, Mr. Blank, exactly. He did this massive project where he watched all the games, scraped all this data with... Uh, Different like uh, tracking passes, all this stuff to uh, quantify to put guys in the tranches. What's that, Greg? What's that? Isn't it Ryan Stimson? Wasn't he the one that did it? Yes, yes, you were right. Ryan Stimson. Yeah, Ryan Stimson did this massive passing data project, and from that he put all these players into uh, categories. So you're a playmaker, a shooter, a balanced player, or a dependent, um, and then he ran all these models to figure out what is your best combination of players. And he came out like the best possible line you could have is three playmakers on the same line. Use expected goals uh, percentage as the way to do this. And pretty much, so he came out with these different line uh, combinations that would you'd ideally have. And so this guy, Sean Tierney on Twitter, who was the guy that kind of tagged me in this post, mm-hmm. he takes data from these guys like Ryan Stimson and Corey Suits, uh, Snatcher, I think is how you pronounce his last name. And he turns them into charts and graphs that make it easy for everyone to digest as opposed to just this massive Excel sheet that you don't know what to do with. Um, and yeah, and so when he ran the Rangers numbers, he, the first line, I believe, was uh, Zibanejad, Kreider, Nash. Most people can say, okay, that probably would be a serv- serviceable first line. But then the second line what, had Pumple on the left wing, and everyone freaked out. Okay, so but that's an anomaly, and obviously not. This isn't like an Adam Clodenning situation where we're like using the eye test on Adam, and just being like, oh, he's obviously the better player. And Pumple should it should be Pumple be getting third line minutes next year? No, right? There's no way. Even second. No, and this guy pretty much straight up said like to me and to other people that. Um, so the reason why I went on that little rant about like player types is one of the better alliance you can have is three balanced players on one line, and what happened is Pumple got kind of pushed into that balanced player tier and because of that that artificially threw him up to the second line he did but however in this thing too miller was a third line center if we're going to operate under the assumption that miller is going to be the wing and not the center uh then put miller on that second line wing and then you have a second line of hayes miller and zuccarello which is a similar line to what we ran last year um i don't think actually did we, did we run really that like- line ever fully i don't think we did I don't know, but I really like the thought of Zuccarello with Hayes. I think if you put a, a guy like Zook who can pass the puck like that with a guy like Hayes, I, I think that could be a pretty exciting line. Can I ask you a weird question? What do you think Hayes' like, best ability is? <sighs> See what I mean? Uh, like, I, I can't. Be... It, to me, like, without, without, before you even answer, and you're the analytics guy here, I would say he, he has a, a unique passing ability when, when driving to the net. But that's that, what I think is his best yeah. ability. He's definitely a good passer. The thing that jumps out to me when I'm watching him is he's really good at shielding the puck. He's kind of like, you know, when you watch a guy like Sidney Crosby or Joe Thornton, they had that ability to kind of just ward people off. They pretty much use their ass and just ward off defenders like it's nothing, and they can skate around in circles and circles with, you know, while preventing the defender from getting the puck. Hayes is really good at that as well. Um, the problem with Hayes that everyone knows, and you don't need to be, you know, anyone can see that his game just comes and goes. I mean, he'll look dominant for a period, and then you won't see him for another week. Uh, yeah, or two. By the way, we, we didn't see him for the second half of the season. <laughs> it wasn't like that. But yeah. I think Hayes is actually the great X factor, or one of the great X factors for the next Rangers season. Uh, him and JT Miller, if they could, you know, they kind of hit a second half slump. I, I, there's no arguing that, really. JT had his had his time a little bit in the second half, but you know after February, can you remember a time Kevin Hayes was even somewhat of anything any way he looked at all? No, right? Nope, no, not at all. And one thing I found weird too is like uh, Vigneault kept running him out on the penalty kill a lot. And I was listening to someone someone else talk recently. Uh, 
talking about how much penalty kill time Hayes got, and that stood out as weird to me. I'm curious as to what you guys think about that or if you noticed it throughout the year. I noticed it, so my first opinion on that is that A.V. was trying to light a fire, trying to do that that standard coach, like, all right, I'm going to give you time to be useful here. When you're useful here, maybe you'll be more useful on offense. And, uh, that's kind of my takeaway with, with that. Mm, no, I just Greg think A.V. sees – think <laughs> yeah. sees, well, gonna, he, First of all, fuck you both. Good morning, Greg. Uh, second of all, Ryan doesn't let me get a word edgewise when we do interviews, so fuck Ryan. And third of all, oh excuse um, me, excuse me, hold on. There's definitely no, no, times no, no, where no. you've done the, you've done the no, entire no, interview no, itself. No no, 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 no. I said what I said. Okay. Um, third of all, I think Av just sees Hayes as a big body, and Av thinks big bodies need to be on the penalty kill. I think I think thinking Av is giving as he sees something in him is too much credit. I think Av is a very Simple man when it comes to hockey. Well, I know AB's got a track record of he has an idea of he want, what he wants a player to be and you know, be damned if he doesn't try to make that happen. He will cram that square peg into a round hole over and over to try and make it happen. Yeah, I think AV looks at Kevin Hayes and Kevin Hayes physically looks like Rick Nash. So I think AV <laughs> sometimes expects Kevin Hayes to be Rick Nash. And I think that's unfair to Kevin Hayes. Kevin Hayes seems, yeah, and seems that was, slower than Rick Nash, though, in general. But at the, at the same time, it's I, I don't want to give A.V. credit for having the foresight to think of this, but think Kevin Hayes it. is going to have to play He's going to have to play on the penalty kill this year. He might be the number one center on the penalty kill, or unless DeHarnay is the number one center on the penalty kill, which is possible. But nah, DeHarnay is not going to be the center on the penalty I can't see that. DeHarnay is you know, he's really good hands, and he's a good passer. If, you're, if we're relying on him to be our number one penalty killer, <laughs> that's going to be fun. Someone's going to have to play the Derek Stepan role, which is the number one center on the penalty yeah. kill. And I, it, because he has the experience playing on penalty kill, I think Kevin Hayes right now is the de facto guy, which is a little scary to think of. But I, again, I, I think I don't think AV was playing Kevin Hayes on a penalty kill, foreseeing him as the Rangers' future number one penalty killing center. I, I kind of think that just manifested on its own. I, I don't want to give for that. Drew, let's talk about something you have written for us that people have written and other people, if they want to read it, drivers on Patreon because I haven't mentioned that yet today. Yeah, nice job. Uh, you wrote about how Mark Stahl could be an effective third pairing with Anthony D'Angelo this week. And I want you to go into that because I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, um, so again, the, and if anyone that read this, you'll see I definitely caveated the hell out of this article up top. Um, you know, if it were up to me, I would honestly run out a pairing of D'Angelo and Alexi Beres-Galoff, I guess is how we're pronouncing his name. Um, that would be who I'd like to see start the season. Um, but we know, you know, we know the way AV is. He's going to give Stahl time and, you know, chance after chance after chance at this. So operating under the premise that, all right, Stahl is going to make the lineup. I kind of dug through all this data and stuff. And again, going back to the guys we were talking about before, the Sean Tierney and the Corey Snager, on the data they did, I wanted to figure out, okay, who might be able to be a good pairing here? And Anthony D'Angelo really stood out. Um, and kind of the, the crux of this was, so Sean Tierney, again, back to the charts he was doing, he put together these charts where it measured how good are players at defending their own blue line, you know, against the opponent, and then exiting their blue line. And um, turns out one thing Mark Stahl can do really well is defend his blue line. Um, he was actually rated pretty significantly above average in terms of breaking up plays when the opponent was trying to get into the Ranger zone, or at least not, ne not necessarily completely breaking up, but like the percentage of the time that the opponent was able to gain the zone um, without uh, issue, stall rated above average uh, there. Hey, good D'Angelo, not Yeah, no, seriously, I was surprised when I saw that, whereas D'Angelo very poor at defending his blue line, but, and like a direct quote that Corey pretty much said to me was, uh, he said that he's never seen anyone with better zone exit stats than Anthony D'Angelo. Um, you know, it was a small sample size alert. Uh, D'Angelo, you know, only played what, like a quarter of the season last year. And he also was not done 
scraping all the data from the Coyote season last year. Um, he was 100% done with the Rangers, though, so all the data he had about the Rangers last year was for the entire season. Um, but, yeah, he literally said D'Angelo was off the charts good. Um, you know, you guys ever see those graphs where you had the four quadrants, and it's like top right is good, bottom left is bad. Yep. And then so in this, in this graph, bottom right was – fun he called it entries for everyone and d'angelo was by far the furthest into that bottom right quadrant so he was a good combination of really bad at defending his own blue line but almost quite literally you know off the charts good at exiting his own blue line um and Another kind of key thing here is, you know, everyone talks about the Rangers system, Dino's system. One of the things that the Rangers do is when the opponent gets, if the Rangers can't get the puck deep and the opponents get the puck, the Rangers go into a one-two-two forechecking system. So you'll see one guy typically chasing around in the offensive zone in Tortorella's system that used to be two guys up front. Um, so you got one guy up front, and then you got two. The other two forwards will typically settle in around the red line, and then the two defenders will go to the blue line and pretty much guard that blue line. And so, in theory, what the hope is with this pairing is you got a guy like Stahl who can stop the opponent from getting in, get the puck to D'Angelo, and then you have D'Angelo who, at least last year, quite quite literally was the best in the league at quickly getting the puck out of the zone and up to your forwards. And then we all know what the Rangers forwards can do once they have the puck. Well, all right, so forward is kind of where we were deep the whole entire time. Now we have, you know, a deep defensive core for the first time in, what, six years? Um, and Mark Stahl is going to be part of that. So you, you're saying pretty much he's going to be effective with D'Angelo? Or, and, or actually, I guess the question really is, how strongly do you feel about D'Angelo after researching all this? Uh, I'm, I feel very strongly about giving D'Angelo a shot. Um, so D'Angelo, so, and the big thing with Stahl and D'Angelo, too, I'm going to throw out uh, – both of them suck in shot suppression metrics. <laughs> so once the opponent actually gets into the ranger zone, that's going to be a lot of fun. But, Justin, as far as guarding the blue line, and once they get the puck, getting it out, they should be an effective pairing. Um, but, yeah, a lot of the data shows, you know, D'Angelo has the ability to be an elite offensive defenseman. Right now he's very poor in his own zone, but he can obviously always improve. The, your own zone play is typically the last thing to develop when you're a kid. Um, I think Adam Herman did, you know, his prospect rankings. He ranked D'Angelo fourth in the Rangers system, you know, mm -hmm. prospects. And he actually drew comparisons to Roman Yossi and Keith Yandel as far as, like, you know, trying to draw corollaries with D'Angelo. So, you know, that's, those are some pretty good names. <laughs> I mean, he, he was saying, you know, he's not projecting D'Angelo to become the next Roman Yossi, but those were the types of players he saw when he was, you know, breaking down D'Angelo footage and stuff like that. I just think with D'Angelo, it would be disappointing if he started the year in the minors. Like, I, I honestly, I understand he's only 21 and he doesn't have a lot of NHL time under his belt, but I am really as a prospect because I just, I don't know how you trade Derek Stepan for a guy that wouldn't immediately make an impact. Like, I know uh, Leas is one thing, and I think he's going at right now make the Rangers as a third line center, but time believing the Rangers traded for Anthony D'Angelo just to send him to Hartford. I think no, he has Yeah, I think he has a pretty safe spot in the Rangers lineup currently. It's his job to lose, I think. Um I mean, you know, we'll see how preseason goes and we all know there are a couple good options there. You know, you got Barrett Galoff with his out contract to the KHL if he doesn't make the team. You have Neil Pionk who's a good puck mover in his Mendoza. own uh right. <laughs> Yeah, Mindaluth. Shout out to Mindaluth. Um, so there are options, but it, it's definitely D'Angelo's to lose. Um, I'd be stunned, to be honest, if he didn't make the opening day roster. Just at the very least, you know, I, I know you want you need to look at it as a sunk cost. The trade is done now, and you want to develop your guys right. But it's just human nature to, hey, we just got this shiny new toy for Derek Stepan. We want to showcase him now. Well, now he's going to get his chance, especially with Mark Stahl, if that's the case they're going. But that seems like it would make too much logical sense. Uh, now that you especially <laughs> explained it to us, that would, that would might work. Uh, sans shot suppression uh, stats or whatever you said there. Yeah, yeah, and by that is um, so. If you have you ever seen those people? I, don't, I know Ryan, you're not like the most active on Twitter, but I know Greg's on there all. I try all the and time. be more, but I, I've been bad lately again. So have you seen those hero chart things that people throw around? Yeah, I'm friends with James Clark. Of course, I've seen hero charts. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so the guy, the end, that that endless name that threw that system together is Dominic Gallimini, I want to say his name is. Um, I apologize to any of these guys if 
they're listening to this for some reason because I'm not. awful with names. They're but not anyway, listening. Yeah, <laughs> I'm very much joking there. But um, now he put together these hero charts, and one of the things in there is a shot suppression metric. Uh, you know, his system on those hero charts is all based off of kind of standard deviation and stuff like that. But, you know, pretty much how it, all the guys get ratings from 0 to 10 and different things in those hero charts, I think D'Angelo was a 0 and Stahl was a 4 in shot suppression mm. last year. A 0. <laughs> That's really bad. <laughs> I yeah, think Girardi I, was like I mean, three. He had three or four numbers below five or below four, I believe. So Girardi that's was a one, I believe. That's great. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. All right. Well, we I mean, had... again, he's a kid. This this can develop, but you know, for what it is, that that was how he performed last year. But a big thing with this is always deployment too, and I'm sure Greg can go on forever about AV and his deployment of defenders. Yeah, I sure can. Because this is this is fun talking about Mark Stahl possibly being a solid third pair defender. I I'm sure Mark Stahl is going to find a way in the top four somehow, just to piss us all off. Yeah, it, that can't happen. It just can't happen. Like yeah, I, it sure can happen. I know it can't. It sure can. We're going to live in a world where Stahl and Brady Shea is going to be a pairing, and Brady. I Smith just is refuse going to, see to believe minutes. that. I just Brady Shea and 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 Smith need to play together. I've watched them play together. It was wonderful. Sure. I had a great time. But we're talking. Yeah, and we're talking about a coach that benched Shea and Smith for the pairing of Nick Holden and Mark Stahl when the games matter most in the playoffs. Oh. So I honestly don't know how you can sit there and say it's a guarantee that Mark Stahl is not going to see as uh, anything but a third-line pairing defender. I've officially lived on this earth for 28 years now, but... He's playing. Uh, oh, I, yeah, happy belated birthday. Thank, thank you, thank, thank, thank you, thank you. Um, uh, that being said, uh, nothing will surprise me, but I just that's, that's indefensible. It's indefensible if Mark Stahl is on the second line. That's, that's it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you think? <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. All right, Drew, what else do we need to know about analytics? What's that, Greg? You're breaking up a little bit, buddy. I'm not breaking up. You're breaking up. Oh, okay. Sounds good. You're right. It's me. That <laughs> 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 um, we did say my computer was exploding before this, uh, this did here happen. So my apologies yep. for the shoddy uh, connection today. It's probably on my side. What did you say there, Gregory? I'm going to uh, slowly repeat that for you. I honestly don't even remember. Great. Wonderful. Drew, uh, going into the season, you kind of said people were watching hockey wrong. Now, I'm curious, how should I start watching hockey right? <laughs> no. All right. So, definitely, um, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. You watch hockey however you want. You know, um, I was talking in our Discord channel, which is fantastic, by hey, the way. I was talking us. with someone today, and he pretty much said, like, listen, I don't give a shit about analytics. I just like watching the game and having fun. Like, that's completely fine. Everyone be a fan the way you want to be a fan. I am not the kind of person that's going to sit there and tell you how to do things. But if your goal is to watch for the strict purposes of trying to, you know, get into these debates on Twitter or some, maybe a debate at like, you know, the water cooler at work or try to get into these conversations of like analysis and stuff like that, then there are better ways to quote unquote, watch the game. Um, and the first and foremost is keep in mind, you know, humans are, we're all subjective beings. Confirmation bias is probably the biggest issue you will ever see when it comes to the eye test. How many times last year did you jump on Twitter after a game where you just watched Dan Girardi get torched five times, but then he makes a big hit and all you're seeing is people saying, ha, ah, see, Girardi's still an effective defenseman. And that's just the best example that, of confirmation that bias. That was me. Eat hey, what what's you want to see. <laughs> <laughs> I did that, especially in the playoff games. So do you think Girardi wasn't playing well in the playoff games and we just like, got blindsided but when he played rough and tough? I think he played pretty well against Montreal, but Montreal's a slow team. I did not think he played that well against Ottawa. And you know, Ottawa's a little bit of a faster team. I thought he was... He looked much better against the likes of Dwight King and Shaw and all those other dudes that uh, Montreal was rolling out there who can't skate either than when all of a sudden he was on the first pairing against Ottawa and staring at Eric Carlson coming down the ice at him. That guy's pretty good. I just – the thing – hockey Twitter I, – I, there are a few things that piss me off as more than hockey Twitter. This last Was it last week where people – some specific Ranger writers were talking about how – 24-7 Ranger fan pitchfork march against Dan Girardi. And it's almost like some writers think Dan Girardi's hockey game, we're calling him a bad person. It's totally I, – I get it. Dan Girardi is an engaging dude, was probably a great interview for these writers. 
locker room for a very long time, dealing with very difficult questions. Dan Girardi could be a perfectly fine interview and human being. It doesn't change the fact that he was below average Ranger defender. Like, you can be both. When I, when I criticize Dan Girardi playing hockey, I'm not going after his manhood. I'm just saying, I know what I'm seeing. The stats back it up. Dan Girardi has been a bad defender. That doesn't stop Dan Girardi from being a good human being. Like, I just... And this- the writers that say a player can't be criticized because he's a good person is an ineffective writer, and they should give it up and find a different profession. And that goes exactly to what I was saying about, you know, with the whole eye testing, humans are subjective. I mean, the writers are subjective, too. Larry Brooks really liked Dan Girardi. I mean, Dan Girardi, by all accounts, is a great dude. Larry Brooks got along with him very well. Larry Brooks, not coincidentally, was the one really banging the drum to defend Girardi at all costs, but he was the first one to throw grumpy Dan Boyle under the bus because Dan Boyle was mean to him. Yeah, that was a, a, yeah, a and- drama of all five seconds where Brooks pretty much lost. I, I, actually, no one won that fight. Uh, the, no one won it. All. That was a big. And you know what? Dan, Dan Boyle can also be a grumpy motherfucker and a below-average hockey player. But when we call him a below-average hockey player, people didn't rise up to his defense. It's just it. It nothing pisses me off more with sports writers than look. I know you're. It's a personal profession. You're going to have a relationship with these guys, but it's not your job to be their friend. It's your job to pander yeah. to your readers. It's your job just to is and there are times where Brooks is one of them but he's not alone there are writers that are easily writing with an agenda and it's it takes away from I honestly think it nothing contributes more to the the conflict between the two just drastic sides of Rangers Twitter camp than I think some of the way stories are written about Ranger players it blows my mind Okay, so here's what I think. Watch a hockey game and say Dan Girardi is good. Like, he was at one time, and in fact, I think it was confirmation bias on my own part to even call him good. I think it was fine at one point, but the numbers are there that say Dan Girardi throughout his career is a grinder and maybe average at best, but recently significantly below average. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say he was legitimately good for a while. But so, again, going back to what Ryan asked about, like, how to watch the games and stuff like that, a big thing about knowing what you're watching is you need to understand the system that you're watching. Tortorella's system was a collapse system in the defensive zone. That suited Dan Girardi's game. He didn't need to be a good skater. He, so you see a lot – you see still he does a lot where he collapses down low, gets in close to the goalie, and then kind of makes a snow angel. Uh, not that Tortorella wanted these guys to snow angel in front of the goalies, but his system was to collapse in front of your goalie, kind of clog up that area, block the pucks, and then get it out. That suited Girardi's game. It was perfect for him. The Rangers now under Vigneault play a partial man overload system. So if the puck goes to the right side of the ice, you'll see all of the Rangers kind of move over to that right side of the ice. They'll keep someone, normally a guy like Rick Nash or something, towards the top in the middle, and it's his job to get back over as quick as possible if the other team is able to successfully move it to the other end of the ice. And guys like Girardi and Stahl really get exposed here because if you know they're on the off end, they're kind of in the middle there. Now all of a sudden, a guy like Alex Ovechkin or whoever is getting the puck on the other side, they don't have the foot speed anymore to get back and close those shooting lanes down. And so guys that can't skate can really get exposed in Vigneault's defensive system. So now I know. Knowing is half the battle. Uh, I'll probably still watch. Ho- I'll, I'll, I'll probably still watch hockey like uh, some regular casual guy. But I'm I'm trying to get better. Watch it how- I'm trying to get better though. Watch like, you it know, however I, you want. I do find analytics so interesting, and I I follow them very closely in, in other sports. And I just in hockey, it's never drawn that way to me. And I, I I am trying to get better at it. I really am. You know what? And I mean, a big issue with me with it for a while was there are just and this goes on both sides, but the analytics community community and like the traditional community, there are just a lot of stubborn people who, if you don't agree with them, they become condescending as all hell. And then you no. turn them out. No, stop. no, no, <laughs> that's never. No, I've never. Everyone on the Internet has been nice or respectful to me. Yeah, well, exactly. But uh, anyway, outside of like that bubblegum world where everyone is nice and respectful, you know, it, that was a big turnoff to people, you know, when the, you got these analyt- analytics guys who were condescending and, and a lot of them aren't willing to explain what it is. Like a lot of these hockey stats, they're new and they're complicated. Um, and for a while, there weren't that many people willing to explain it. Um, 
Dave Shapiro on one of the Rangers blogs actually did a really good piece trying to explain all of it. On um, this guy, Sean Tierney, who I've referenced a couple times, he's one of the best people on Twitter. Like, if you really want to learn what it is he's doing, if you tweet him, he'll try to help you out. Um, Dmitry Filipovich is another guy in the analytics community who's gotten really good at this. But for a while, a lot of the guys were kind of just these grumpy, condescending people. And so not only were people tuning them out, but they're turning against them. Um, and then that you know, drives the divide further. All right. Well, uh, I think that's really great advice for anyone that out there that wants to actually go out and kind of invest in analytics uh, and decides like, listen, this is the time. This is the year I'm going to take hockey seriously and I want to learn about this. If you want to keep watching hockey because it's it's awesome to watch and it's a great game. You know, we're not stopping you. Just wanted to provide some insight. with. Right. You. Exactly. All right. And if you want to learn more from me, you can subscribe to the Patreon and get the Discord. And hey, get me up there. hey, 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 wow. <laughs> These plugs, jeez. Uh, yeah, thanks, everyone, for supporting us in general. I really appreciate all that. I've been, uh, I've been slacking a little bit uh, with the sticker, the sticker deal, but that will be happening soon, hopefully. So my, my apologies, Drew. I know you've, you've hit me up about stickers before. They are coming. Uh, yeah, I just, I mean, for the record, I just like having fun with that. I, my desk at work, I just have kind of a bunch of things in the wall. So I like busting your chops over like, hey, be great if I could put a sticker great, right great up here right now. Nice blue shirt breakaway sticker would look really nice right here, Ryan. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I, I think we've uh, we've kind of hit the big points of, uh, of analytics and the Rangers. Is there any bold predictions you'd like to make for the Rangers next year now that we've kind of gone over everything? Is there any analytics you wanted to touch on that we didn't? I mean, like I said, this is something that we can talk forever about. Uh, one of the things I do want to do for your site once it's up is do kind of a series of posts to try to explain some of this stuff in, you know, layman's terms. Because, you know, like I said, a lot of it is confusing, and I get it. And I'm still learning. Um, uh, but We're all as, still as far learning. As bold predictions, I, I, I don't know any – off the top of my head, I don't really have anything. I think the Rangers are going to be pretty good this year. I think they're going to be kind of a second-tier contender. I don't think they're quite on the level – of like Pittsburgh per se, but I think they're, you know, you know, the NHL anything can happen. I think they're on that fringe, you know, that second tier of contenders this year. Uh, if their centers can shake out to be okay, then that could be awesome. But I, I, I don't have any bold predictions. Other, actually, the one bold prediction, uh, it'll probably take a week until, you know, you'll have a Kevin Shatt and Kirk turnover and half a Twitter will turn on him. I can't have that happen. It just can't happen right away. <laughs> I just, I don't. <laughs> But, you know, I just, with Mark Stoll on the second line, like, how logically can we do that? I just can't do it. Yeah, I'm giving people too much credit probably saying a week. Yeah, that was that's a lot. Um, thank you for coming on. I think we're going to do some Thrones talk now, uh, just to end the, end the week with us, uh, a little bit of nonsense. Not really much going on in the other major sports. You know, baseball's pretty dry right now. Uh, we talked all the hockey and analytics we could for today. If you guys want to follow us on Twitter, it's okay. Blue Shirts Break. Drew, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, at Drews underscore way. So D-R-E-W-S underscore W-A-Y. Yes, the S is important. Drews underscore way. And then uh, if you guys are not a fan of Game of Thrones, I don't know what you're doing, but we'll be talking about that now. <laughs> so spoil warning ahead. All right, nonsense section. Guys, there's a lot that happened on last night's episode uh, that I'm still sort of, you know, getting getting through. Let's all agree right now, Jamie's alive, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah. No, if, if, if they were going to kill him, he would have just been roasted by Drogon. I just, Jamie's my character and he's my boy, and it's weird seeing him go through all this. It was just like such, such a weird moment where he goes, okay, I'm going to try to kill Danny now, except there's a huge dragon that cannot be stopped, and I'm running th- towards her with a spear. Like, that was, was that just like an impulse moment for him? Like, what was he thinking? I, I don't know. My, here's my initial, I'm just completely ignoring your question and moving on to my own question. Yeah, I like that. Um, why, I, I, I know one of the answers is probably because HBO's budget isn't necessarily unlimited, but I find it hilarious that anytime Danny gets into a fight, she's only going in with one of three dragons. Like that's, the other two are just like, now nah, we're sitting this one out. That's it. Yeah. We'll, that, we'll, we'll come in later. That was my point after the episode we were talking in our group and I was like, guys, there's only one dragon. Imagine what two more could do. Yeah. Right, like Viserys and Rago are always just like, no, we're we're not ready yet. Yeah, we're not. You we're you go on, do what you want to do. We're gonna we'll come when we're ready. It's because it's just funny every every time they talk about battle plans. Like, what? Well, you do have three grown dragons, and it's as if Danny's like, now what if I only bring one in the battle? Well, Will that be enough? You know what's even like, worse, Greg? Jon Snow has a mystical wolf. We do you do we forget? He has a mystical wolf. I, I, he did I not bring. Snow's dead. No. No, I thought Snow's dead. No. No? 
or whatever. No, no. So John's yeah, Ghost, John's wolf is definitely still alive. Ghost is very no, much ghost, alive. That's it. Ghost is. I is, thought Ghost was dead. Why no, did I think Ghost died? Uh, other animals have died. I don't know, but horses get the shaft in the show. But Ghost is certainly alive, and he just didn't take him at all to, to Dragonstone. He was like, uh, "My mystical beast? No, I'll leave it with me. They stay, stay back here." And by the way, we haven't seen it at Winterfell either. So where the hell is Ghost? That's, that's kind of why I thought Ghost was dead. That's what I'm pointing. It's like you're, well, you're I, a casual watcher. You think Ghost is dead. Well, maybe the reason why they even bring Ghost is, you know, think back to the scene in the cave. Like, how many of you, when that scene was happening where John was like, I have something to show you, immediately went back to that scene with, what was he, Yagret or yeah, something? Was that the Wildling Yeah, Yagret. Yeah, yeah. And also, the way, he, the way the drawing of the White Walkers was done, it looked super <laughs> fresh. And the, the eyes were so blue. Like, what natural color makes that? I don't know. It was really like... Yeah. Have you ever, have you ever uh, drawn on Dragonstone, though? So I think that's kind of you just being ignorant. That's true. I'm pretty ignorant about drawing on Dragonstone. It just was... It looked very strange. It was like this PowerPoint. And he went through and he was like, okay, Danny, here's what's going to happen. These are people that were working together. And they got killed by these people. And they see, that's it. So now I have... now. And then she's like, I believe you, John. Like, all of a sudden, that's what it took? A PowerPoint in a cave? Yeah. Well, I still think there's... Oh, there's, there's there was a moment where I thought they were just going to start making out, and I was like, "Great, another brother-sister combination that we get to watch." Actually, this is fun. Actually, he's she. His, this is what? Unk, she, she's her aunt. She's his aunt. Yes. Oh so, well, sorry. So just My let, bad. Just letting you know. Spoilers. Uh, By Game of Thrones standards, that's a big difference. Yeah, it is. It is, <laughs> especially with Jamie. True. Uh, <laughs> Once removed. So. So I have a bold prediction for the end of the season. I think the last scene is Danny, uh, is Danny and John doing it. I'm just going to call it right now. I think it's the last scene. Uh, well, he's got to bend the knee, maybe in more than one way. Yeah, it seems that way. He was looking at her good heart. As Davos, also, Davos kills other, everything, by the way. He's the best. Are we saying my other question, when John is just like, yo, we got to start mining, at some point do you think like he asks for a little help, or is it just going to be him and Davos in there with a fucking chisel? They took five other guys, but like, shouldn't he be sending Ravens back? Like, yo, bring a mining crew. What's up? I need some help. Did they bring 500 guys? There, no, no, no. no. Two, I said, I said five guys. Five guys. Like the burger chain. Oh. Um, they brought five, oh, five dudes from the Burger chain, and then they, that was it. That's all I, I saw. Well, they can have, you know, Theon the Maybe he can get Tormund come him, down. I'm sure. Yeah, well, Theon. We need more Tormund time. Get Tormund to come down and help. Well, Tormund's at Eastwatch now, and that's going to be, woof. That's, uh. Tormund's the best. They better not kill him next episode. Dude, he's done. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, Tormund's the best. Don't do that. I, I. I love Braun, but I would have rather them roasted Braun on an open skewer before they killed Tormund. I, th- I thought Braun was done this week. I'm surprised how much plot armor he also had. Because I knew Jamie couldn't die. I just knew it. Like, he, you know, I, I, was yeah. ne- I was never worried for Jamie to die. If he did die, I would have been shocked. I would have been uh, absolutely paralyzed. But Braun dying, like, it felt like an appropriate way to die would be like him, you know, fighting the dragon and. That would be his last moment. It felt like, you know, he looked at the money and he decided it wasn't worth it. It was kind of like a re- realization moment for him. He's a total badass. But yet, he saved Jamie once again. So, at least we thought that was... Is, are we sharing with him? Actually, yeah, I was, was about wondering to say, that. do you think it's Dickon? Which is a great name, by the way. Or do you think it was Bron? <laughs> I love that they just openly laugh every time they say Dickon. Yeah, and all the characters just start cracking up. <laughs> Dickon's a good dude, though. He seems like he's like, you know, they really don't glorize war. Glorify, sorry, glorify war at all in uh, in Game of Thrones. They kind of you kind of see both sides, especially with Dickon. Like he's like, I fought with those guys and I I grew up with them and now I'm fighting them. My other, uh, my only other gripe from this episode. Well, first of all, I'm going to say I think Littlefinger's on the clock. I'm expecting that motherfucker to die this season. Yo, chaos, chaos is a ladder, Greg. Uh, but second, why is it that when people shoot arrows in this series that people just like? Don't use common sense to avoid them. This goes back to freaking um, Rickon, little Stark guy that died in Battle of the Bastards. Rickon, like, motherfucker needed a zigzag. Serpentine, bro. Serpentine. So, Braun fires this massive steel arrow. Dragon and Danny have time to react to it, where all they have to do is like turn a little, and they'd be fine. And he's like, "No, I'm just gonna go straight for this thing. I'm not. I'm not gonna move. It's not. It's my airspace." The arrow should move. Like, the arrow is shot. It's not like a gunshot where the you don't have time to react to said shot arrow. Yeah, he could dodge it. He could dodge it. Just like, it, let me it, let me counteract for a second. Um, and okay. and this is weird too. And it kind of show. I'm gonna be really nerdy for a second. Okay, stick with me. Uh-huh. Drogon scales are supposed to be pretty much impenetrable to anything like that. Now, when they were younger and still maturing. 
the scales could be penetrated by spears as they were in the fighting pits. Now that Drogon is a full adult uh, FU dragon, his scales should not be penetrated even by that sort of uh, that advanced bow and arrow or uh, ballistic, whatever you want to call it. So he probably doesn't think that's going to... Yes, the scorpion. Yeah, he doesn't think it's going to pierce him at all. So he just like, screw it, I'm going at it. Because everything else has bounced off him forever. So uh, maybe he doesn't know. I I think it's ridiculous that he actually does pierce Drogon's skin. But I guess they had to have some way to deal with dragons in the show. So Otherwise, they'd be too powerful. He's regretting that now. Yeah, just between that and the two other dragons always getting to sit out the big fights really just... Well, in the in the books, and I don't know, Drew, did you read the books? I did not. I have a bunch of friends that read the books that like to tell me all the time that they read the books and, okay. uh-huh. and everything. But okay. uh-huh. I always feel like that I read the books. Right. Okay. Okay. That sounds about right. So I feel like they had uh, they had a plan for this in in R and D because in the books there's like some sort of like mystical horn that's like known to maybe control dragons. We don't know yet. So I think that's the plan in the books. Yeah, Euron's supposed to have that, right? Yeah, Euron has this horn. That like has the ability like you could blow it and you could control a dragon, but you also might die. Um, and and in the show they were like let's replace that with a bow and arrow. So you know that simple answer. That's that's the way you combat Danny bow and arrow. So I guess that's it. Does anyone have predictions for next week's show? I think we saw. Did you watch the? Do you guys watch the on the next week on or no? I think it yeah. seems like John's gonna have some interaction with the dragon, right? Yeah, it seems like. I, I Drogon might sniff him out and be like, "Yo, you're Targaryen. What's up?" So why does it have to be Drogon? Drogon? I thought that changes? was. I, yeah, I, thought I, thought I didn't think the... that was Drogon. Oh, yeah, I thought it was one of the probably Rhaegal. It's, it's probably Rhaegal because that's like his technically his dad. Rhaegar yeah. is his dad. It's like the worst kept secret yeah. in show history. Like everyone knows it now. Like everyone knows he's a Targaryen, but it still hasn't been confirmed in the show somehow. I don't know if they're wait. Why no, they they're confirmed waiting it so on the show? Did they? It was Tower of. They Dor- confirmed on the show. Yeah. The end of last the, the end of last uh, season. Didn't they have that scene where they had? I, it was brand no. It was still that. really sketchy, and I don't think they actually ever confirmed it. Maybe I'm wrong, but maybe I don't know. He's a target. I, well, I thought they made it pretty clear that John is the son of Rhaegar. Ned's sister yeah. and Rhaegar. Yeah, they made it pretty clear. So hopefully, uh, but now no one knows still. So hopefully he'll find out soon. So I guess that'll be. I, I think John's going to end up bending a knee next week, or possibly somehow working together with her. And then it seems like she takes control of everyone. But I'm just so curious to what happens with Jamie. I think she maybe takes him as a prisoner of war, and that forces him to fight against Cersei. I'm not sure how that works. I don't know. Well, the old, um, what's it called? The, the prophecy says Cersei dies by the hand of her brother. They just yep. never say which brother. Well, well, and that's another thing that the show doesn't really talk about, is that there's a good chance that, J- uh, that uh, Tyrion is also Targaryen. Um, so he never really was. Uh, a, a Lannister in the first place. So there you go. That I, it, I, I've only heard of that theory from people like you who are book readers and nerds. I, I, the show has never once, I think, even alluded to that. They the did slightest. like very briefly in season one, where he was like, "I've always been fond of dragons. I wish they were little. They were little like me. All that stuff." Um, they that, and I know, didn't they? I think somewhere along the lines, they mentioned how. Um, the bad king or something, I guess, raped uh, Tyrion's mother or something yes. along the way. Didn't they allude to that? And they, that's kind of the opening there. They did possibly allude to the, the raping of Tyrion's mother, which could have been him. And that'd be one of the reasons why everyone hates him. Um, you know, thinking that, and then Tywin also kind of kept that a secret the entire time. Wow. Kind of, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and also in the books, his description is he looks nothing like a Lannister. So that's it. All right. Uh, any other thoughts on Game of Thrones before we head out of here? I just don't want Tormund to die next episode, but all signs are pointing that he's doomed. I think Littlefinger is done. Uh, did you get the Chaos yeah, of the Ladder uh, deal, Greg? Uh, no. Was uh, I supposed I, to? Yeah, I'll I kind of just let you have it. I'll quickly explain it to you. Um, Bran says something when when he gives him the knife, uh, which is the Valyrian steel knife that, that was attempted to kill him. Oh, Bran. yeah. I didn't understand the words that came out of his mouth. Okay, so Bran says Chaos is a Ladder, and that's actually a like a very quotable Littlefinger quote that he says to Varys like three seasons earlier, Barry says to him, chaos is a pit. And then Littlefinger goes, no, chaos is a ladder. You climb it and then you fail. Um, so Bran... I feel like... I feel like Bran is the only one that knows when Ned was taken in the throne's room, it was Littlefinger who put the knife to his neck. Yeah. Because I feel like that is a very significant moment in the show that no one in the Stark family knows about. But I, Bran has to know. If Bran knows everything, then Bran has to know that it was Littlefinger. 
Bran knows. That's why that he says chaos is, a, chaos is a ladder. And that kind of <laughs> is like a, hey, I know exactly everything you're talking about, and you cannot fool me. Bran's so. too busy creeping out his sisters, though, to let everyone in on the loop. Yeah, Bran's a little weird now. He was normal He was normal with Arya, though. It's just like, <laughs> Bran last week is like, yo, sisters saw you got raped. Yeah. Then this week, he's like, yeah. he doesn't bring up the fact that Arya is a mass murderer. He's just like, I know you got a list. That's all I'm going to say. Here's a Valerian steel knife. By the way, go fight the best fighter in probably the entire Westerosi continent and kick her ass out of nowhere. So, uh, we do we agree that Brienne's the best fighter? Probably, right? The best know. fighter? Yeah. I like the hound. I don't know. It's she crushed the hound. That or the mountain? Yeah. Well. Oh, yeah. My bad. The mountain. It's definitely the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> Franken, uh, Franken, Franken Mountain. Who knows what kind of weird-ass powers he has it's now? It's definitely the mountain, for sure. Also, I, I totally just realized now that Tyrion is the only Lannister without blonde hair. Never realized that before. Yep. See, there you go. That's my whole point. Um, by the way, Greg, your mic was so crap for the first half of this podcast, and as soon as we started talking about uh, Game of Thrones, it was perfectly fine. Very weird. I think it's, I think it's you. I don't think it's me. I agree. I, it probably was me. It's always me, my friend. It's always me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I th- just want to thank everyone for listening this week. Do we have anything else for, for uh, to wrap up here, my friends? Nope. Sorry. I just... I'm just pissed that Syndergaard's cameo. Like, it was I didn't so even know shit, bro. I didn't even know it was Syndergaard. I was waiting for this to come up. <laughs> like, it, it, come on. Ed Sheeran gets a whole fucking song, and Syndergaard, at least Syndergaard threw something. So, like, I'm kind of happy. Yeah. But he, at the same time, I had no idea it was Syndergaard until people started showing screenshots. They should have took his, like, took the mask off, and he should have been able to, he should have thrown a spear. That would have been sick. And that's, like, a really, like, brief one-second cameo. I don't know. That's, that's good. I, they, I think they flubbered that one. My personal opinion. Or, or if we had like a, a hammer, like a like yeah. Thor's hammer kind of deal, yeah, like a war cool. hammer, like Robert had. Yeah. Or just have him be like, have him be on a horse next to Dickon. Like Dickon's talking about something. Syndergaard's not saying shit. He's just looking like a fucking doofus. And then I'd be like, oh look, it's Noah. Oh look at he's dead. He's fried. Maybe yeah. it was Syndergaard, maybe it was Syndergaard that saved Jamie. Maybe maybe we're not done with Noah. Oh, maybe it was Syndergaard. That's a nice theory. We I like that. We don't know. Actually, we don't. I'm going know. with that. All right. I think it was. I think it ends up being Dickon. That's my call. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure Syndergaard got fried. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's done too. And he's, it was just like a season, so that's nice. Oh, no, his cameo was a direct, <laughs> direct representation of the Mets season because it was so fucking shitty. Just didn't even know it happened. All right, well, I agree. That's a good way to end this podcast. Everyone follow us on Twitter at Bush's Break. Drew at Drew under, Drew's underscore way on Twitter. Drew, you'll come back on during the season and talk some analytics with us? Yeah, man, whenever you guys need, I'm here. All right, sounds good, Drew. Talk and to thanks you for having me on. Sorry, it's uh, shorter than usual uh, by like 10 minutes. Somehow we went up 51, so whatever. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you soon. If you want to support us, support us on Patreon. I'm not doing a beginning ad today. You already heard that, nor am I doing an intro. Thank you. Love you all. Bye-bye. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.